Welcome to West Church. We're so thankful you've joined us today. Whether you're joining us in person or virtually, we're excited to come together to praise, worship, and receive God's glory. If this is your first time with us, we'd like to give you a very special welcome. If you're returning, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. Now, let's prepare to be inspired and encouraged as we enter into worship. You knew about your spouse when you first got married. How little did you know about yourself back then? Um, How much did you change since then? How much have they changed since then? You know, when a couple marries, you have every single intention and expectation to stay together for a lifetime. But that resolve is tested and tried no matter how happy you were at the beginning. In his book on premarital counseling, H. Norman Wright has a graph. It shows the satisfaction of married couples in the various phases of the family life. So, obviously, the honeymoon is a high marital satisfaction time for most people. As they start a family and very small children come along, typically it dips in terms of the couple's satisfaction because of all the intense care that's required to take care of very, very young children. As they come out of the preschool years and into the elementary years, typically marital satisfaction goes up and the couple is enjoying their relationship more as their children are a little bit less dependent. It tends to dip when they hit teenage years. (laughs) I don't know why, because teenage years can be hard. And then if they survive the ups and downs of all that and they enter into an empty nest phase and they're able to survive and rebuild their relationship as their family has matured and grown out of the home, then their marital satisfaction can increase again. Just as the phases of your family's life can affect your marriage, that doesn't take, even take into account all of the challenging, unexpected things that can happen, right? Right? like illness or job complications, moving, his family, her family, financial challenges, accidents, setbacks. The divorce statistics for Christians and non-Christians are just about the same, pretty close, within small amounts. Now, the ideals of Christianity can make for a wonderful marriage, but the realities of life still make it just as hard. In his letters to both the Ephesians and to the believers in Colossae, Colossians, Paul likens our relationship with God to a marriage. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom and His disciples, the people of God, are the bride. And He loves us, and we love Him back. And He is purifying us and making us beautiful on the inside and bringing that out in us, and we are becoming changed into people who are like Him and love Him more. He is the perfect husband. We are not so much. Being a Christian in a church is like being married to Jesus, according to the Bible, 
there are phrases in, there are phases in our relationship with God, and there are challenges and setbacks, but if we stay in the relationship, the rewards are beautiful and wonderful. But if we bail out, it's not so hot. So here we are in our passage in Romans chapter 8, which we just read together, and we've been studying this passage, and, and Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christian believers who are in the city of Rome who are suffering greatly, and he's been speaking about this amazing gift that God gives us, every single believer, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes into our lives, it is like getting married. We have this completely new and beautiful relationship with God, and we are so in love, and we think that nothing could ever stop us now. Life is going to be just one happy pathway straight up to the heavenly gates. Some of our hymns even gave us this oppression in the past. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. I've been a Christian for 43 years, and I wish I could tell you that I'm happy all the day, and I bet you Donna wishes I could tell you that too. (laughs) But it would be less than the truth. Well, why is a relationship with God, after we have received the Holy Spirit, so challenging? Paul says that we need to do battle with this thing called the flesh. And what I want to show you today is why the Christian life is harder than you think and why being a Christian is better than you expected. It's harder than you think, but it's better than you expected. Are you with me? All right. Why is being a Christian harder than you think? Look with me at verses 12 and 13. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we've, we've said that Paul uses this word flesh here. He's not talking about our literal flesh and bones, but he's talking about a spiritual concept or a spiritual reality called the sinful nature. Our sinful nature is that part of our souls, it's that part of our being that desires contrary to God. Last week I said the sinful nature is that part of our hearts that wishes that God would keep His nose out of our business. And when a person comes to Christ, part of that coming includes that we recognize that we have a serious spiritual problem, that we have sinned against God, and we want to be forgiven for our offenses against God, and we want to break with that sinful nature. And when we turn to Christ and ask for forgiveness, we see that Jesus suffered on the cross for our guilt and our shame, and, we are ta- and He takes that guilt away, and it is removed. And so we ask for mercy in Jesus' name, and we receive it because He died for our sins and our guilt. When I first came to Christ, I wanted God to change my life, and He did. There were a lot of glaring things that were really apparent to me and everybody else about me called surface sins that began to fade kind of quickly. But here's what we find. 
like a husband who doesn't know himself so well and doesn't know his wife so well, there are deeper flaws and character traits within my heart that begin to surface the longer we get to know each other. So right away, I, I began as, an early, as a Christian early in my life to stop cursing. I tried to change my language and the things that I spoke about. But it was still a struggle with the anger and rage that used to make me curse at people. The anger and the rage is much deeper into my sinful nature. Now the Holy Spirit begins to put His finger on my character defects, and I find that He wants to go deeper and deeper into my life. Paul says that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have to put to death our sinful nature. We have to try to kill it. Like roaches that scurry around in the darkness, my desires are still lurking around in the dark, and God the Holy Spirit flicks on the light, and He lives within me to help me acknowledge, face, and deal with these deeper parts of my heart. It is like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. He said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members that your whole body get thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, before a person knew Jesus, a man or a woman may have thought that it was okay to sleep around and have sex with whomever they wanted. When someone comes to Christ, they choose to give up that idea. And when someone comes to Christ, even though they give it up, they may still find that they look at another person and want to have sex with them in their mind. And Jesus says that when that happens to you, you should amputate your eye or amputate your hand. Now, he's not talking about literally mutilating our bodies, but we do need to amputate our selfish, evil desires. We need to root them out. Paul would say, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we need to put them to death. Verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And here we see two ways in which our sinful nature can show itself in our lives that Paul mentions. One is slavery and the other is fear. We can become enslaved by our desires and our behaviors. <clears throat> our desires and our behaviors can take control of our lives. Uh, that is, that's, uh, it, addiction is a form of enslavement. Even though you know something is wrong and harmful in your life, you keep going after it anyway. That is the problem with sin. You, we usually do it because part of it is that, that we want it. It does something for us. It works to a point. But we can keep doing it even when we begin to doubt that it's actually what we want and I'm sure that's in part what Paul means in verse 13. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. For Christians and for non-Christians alike, 
if we continue to go after our wrong, our sin, it will eventually kill us. We each know people who have tanked their families and tanked their marriage and tanked their faith and tanked their ministry because they could not or would not let, let go of their sinful desires. Enslavement and the destruction that flows out of it are sad and painful part of the sinful nature. The other thing he mentions is fear. That's a second way in which our sinful nature shows itself. I was speaking with a counselor friend of mine who uh, was talking about how fear is one of the most primal motivators of human beings. We do an awful lot of things in our life because of fear. Um, even in my own life, I've seen how I, how I have not done well with my fearful feelings. At times, I have, I have done things that I didn't want to do because I was afraid to say no and disappoint somebody. I have been defensive with people out of fear and self-protection. I have failed to ask for help when I needed it because I was afraid someone would know that I was struggling. I have failed to ask for what I want or what I needed because I li- and I just lived with disappointment because people didn't even know what I wanted or needed. If we are struggling with sin and we do not let anybody know, that is usually a result of fear and shame. Fear to be known for who we really are. And what happens is we never get the help that we need and we just struggle in silence and keep going down the unhappy pathway towards death. If we are afraid of letting people down so that we compromise on what we know is good and true and right, if we are afraid to speak the truth to someone who is harming themselves or harming others and just let them continue in their wrong, fear cripples our growth, fear cripples their growth, and death is allowed to spread like gangrene. The Christian life is harder than we think because we still have to put to death our sinful nature with the help of the Holy Spirit. We will come to see our character defects for what they are and have to deal with them in honesty in the light of God's truth. And we will come to see the subtle shadows of slavery and fear that lie behind our motives at times. But it's also being a Christian is better than we expected. And here's why. Again, verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And we sang that in a bunch of different ways this morning. Verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit does expose our flesh, our sinful nature, 
but He exposes it with the light of His love for us. The Spirit whom God gives us is a spirit of adoption. When Christ cleansed us from guilt, He also elevated to the, us to the status of adopted sons and daughters of God. When we had been lost without hope, God sent His Son Jesus to die for our sins. When we had been guilty and without excuse, Jesus died for our guilt. And where we had been alienated and separated from God without hope, God adopts us into His family. He takes hold of our hearts and He says, you are my child. I elevate you to the status of family. And like the prodigal that knew that the father shouldn't take him back and was surprised, now we are surprised. Jesus himself called God his Father, something that no other teacher or person had done before. And Jesus was God's Son from all eternity and fulfilled all of the will of his Father. But now through the grace of God, we call God our Father because we have been adopted. We have been called out to God. We call Him Abba, which is the Aramaic word for Daddy, Father. We are His children. He is our Daddy. And it is a whole new status of a relationship with God. And this may not sound or feel natural for us. We may doubt that we can approach God as Father. We may feel very unworthy to approach God as Father. Father may not have been a good or a safe person for you, but now God invites us to lay down our doubts, to lay aside our fears, to put down our shame, to surrender our pains and heartaches, and to approach Him and to talk to Him and to live with Him as with a Father. Verse 16 says that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Sometimes we will feel hopeless, alone, and afraid. Sometimes we can be so burdened with guilt and shame. Sometimes we can be crippled with fear. So the Spirit says to us, Bill, remember that I, God, am your Father now. And we come to Him. He loves us. We draw near to Him. We tell Him what's going on inside. And we lay our head on the shoulder of our Father. The Spirit helps us to deal with our fears. When we see ourselves acting wrongly out of fear, it is the Spirit who helps us come to God as our Father. And in His love and in His closeness, it is a comfort that helps us to say no to our fear and yes to the truth. It is confidence that God is our Father that bolsters us to do what is good and right and true. Now, the Bible frequently uses uh, about our relationship with God and a phrase which is the fear of the Lord. It's prominent in the Old Testament and it also exists in the New Testament. And sometimes we mistake that to mean that we are always supposed to live afraid of God. 
We know that He loves us, but it's just a matter of time before the other shoe drops, almost like an angry parent who can't control themselves who's just going to slap you because you're in their way. That is not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord has to do with a willingness to do anything and everything that He says. The fear of the Lord with, has to do with recognizing that He is great and we are small. But it never means that we should feel afraid that He might change His mind and stop loving us. It is the closeness of God as Father that helps us to break with our slavery. When somebody is trapped in habitual sin, addiction, or habits, it is the love of God that gives us the courage to admit that we need help. If we are too proud to reach out, we stay stuck. The love of God humbles us and when we know that He is our Father and we are His children, we can ask Him for help and we can ask anyone for help. We no longer have to live in the shadows of secrecy and shame because we know that no matter what, we are His sons and daughters and He loves us. And not only that, we can become helpful to other people who struggle once we have come clean with God with our struggles and we're willing to say, yes, I've been through that and this is what my Father taught me. And our understanding and experience of being a loved child of God is like growing in a healthy marriage. As we become more honest with our Father about who we are, we actually gain an understanding of enjoyment and delight in His love for us. When we are running from God, His Father love sounds like a nice idea, but we have our doubts about that. When we run to God, His Father love embraces us and His warmth, and we let Him into our lives more and more, and we come to trust Him with ever-increasing love, freedom, and peace. The love of God melts our fears and breaks our slavery and addictions. It opens us up to more of God's goodness and delights. God teaches us how to love people better with patience and understanding because He's been so patient and understanding with us. He teaches us how to forgive those who hurt us and offend us because He has forgiven us so much more. So much more. And instead of living out of self-protection and fear, we live out of faith and self-sacrifice. Instead of being slaves in the darkness, we are free in the light of His love to come into Him for grace and power to change. Like a couple that has been married for decades, now we hold hands because we know each other. We see each other as we really are, and we're truly happy because we're truly known. God sees us, all of us, warts and all, 
We are exposed but not ashamed because He loves us. We have nothing to hide, and our consciences are at peace in His love. He sees us as we are. We are not afraid of people anymore because we know that we are made of the exact same stuff, and God loves us through the power of His Holy Spirit. Christianity can be so much better than we expected as we walk with the Spirit over time, knowing that God is our Father. Just a reminder, in your seat there is a Let's Connect card, whether you're a first-time guest, second-time guest, or all-the-time guest. Please take a moment, fill that out if you'd like us to pray for you, and it's a way we can get to know you. Christianity is harder than we think, but it is better than we ever expected. Verse 17 has a bit of an ominous note to it. He says, and if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This final verse that we looked at today is going to take us to some themes that we're going to consider more in weeks to come. Paul says we will be glorified in bodies like that of our Lord Jesus who is glorified in a body, but he also says that we must suffer with Him as He suffered for us. And we've said that being a Christian is harder than we thought, but better than we expected. And what Paul is saying, and what I have come to experience, is that we, we actually learn these things best through the crucible of our hardships and sufferings. Our hardships often cause the rough edges of our sinful nature to come to the surface, don't they? And it is in our suffering that the Spirit teaches us to cry out to God as Daddy, Father. And we find God to be all that He is to us and so much more as we cry out to Him. And just like the love of a husband and wife can grow through the hardships of life together, our love for our Father grows as we suffer in ways similar to the sufferings of Jesus. It's not like we go looking for trouble, but over the long haul, we learn that suffering is not, it's not our enemy, but that our Father wants to be even closer to us in the midst of the sufferings that we face, and we learn more about God's love when we learn to suffer well, even as our Savior did for us. So once again, being a Christian is harder than we thought but better than we imagined, even in our suffering, because God is for us.